Seinfeld, the Chinese woman is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who never wear a cape. I'm Rob Sisman. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Uh, Rob, yes. maybe I couldn't be skinny and tall, but I'll sell for being the greatest podcaster of all time as a consolation. <laughs> wow. Look at you. Congratulations on your title. I do like when I say things and they they become obsolete within like that tweet has already been deleted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Akifo, which tweet are you referencing for our listeners? Uh, Kanye West got into like a, a Twitter feud with uh, with Wiz Khalifa. I did. I do like the old days when rappers like would get into a feud and they would kill each other. This is like a little nerdier where they're telling each other they have nice pants. Mm hmm. But um, uh, yeah, so that was one of Kanye's like 40 tweets to Wiz Khalifa. See, I kind of feel like this podcast, unlike most of the other podcasts that I do, which are very much of, okay, a recap of a specific thing that happened at a certain time. I do kind of feel like that these podcasts are sort of like going off into syndication one day and that maybe 10 years from now, somebody is like watching a Seinfeld episode and is somehow finding this in some archived uh, internet uh, wayback machine of iTunes. And I feel like that I want to always like, reference something that's super time sensitive that you, what we're talking about oh i thought you were going to say the opposite that we should like be go the chuck lorry style and never reference <laughs> anything no no so I, well always, I, if we reference something i feel like we should give context also so people like well, have no idea what we're talking about even like in the current time people probably have no idea what we're talking about right no one yeah nobody knows what i'm talking about but yeah that makes sense we could we'll yeah because 10 years from now one person will find this if if itunes and podcasts and the internet still exist yeah and like last week when we reverse jinxed uh, Cespedes, who signed with the Mets this weekend. Right. And like 10 years from now, people will be like, uh, who's that? Who's Cespedes? Yeah, what well, was baseball? So that was something that we did. And so Akiva, or can I call you, should I call you Keeve? I heard on your other podcast that your friends call you Keeve. And I'm like being super formal by calling you Akiva. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that like once I hit 30, I feel like people have, and when I meet new people now, they generally just call me Akiva. Okay. So if you want to be grandfathered in, you can be. Yeah. It's totally up to you. I think it I will. My, it is my Twitter name, right? So, you know, you can go either way. Yeah, I like to mix it up. I mix, mix it up. When I'm like being much more conversational, I'll be like, Keeve, listen, listen to this, Keeve. And then people people will tweet in. They'll be like, who's Keeve? Is there a third guy in the podcast? Because <laughs> if I refer to Chester as Alex, everyone's like, who's Alex? Throws everything off. All right. So we have a great show here today to talk about an episode of Seinfeld's, probably one of the more forgotten episodes, I feel like, The Chinese Woman. I feel like people do not talk about this episode often, Akiva. Um, I'd say the overall plot, yes. The Chinese Woman is never in anybody's top 10 or top 20, I'd agree. However, there's a lot of bits in here that everyone remembers. They just don't remember that it's from this episode. Yeah, so we will talk about all that. And Keeve, we have something else special that you have been working overtime for these listeners. Tell them what you did, Keeve. Um, yeah, so uh, we should have a, uh, a guest coming up. Should, we, should it be a surprise guest or should, should we tell everyone who it is? Let's, <laughs> that's fun. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I, I like the idea of the surprise guest, but I would like to mention like things that we were going to ask the surprise guest. So let's let's say who it is. Okay, fine. That makes sense. And it's not that big of a surprise. We don't want to get people's hopes Don't up. overhype it. Jerry's finally coming on, which yeah. I'm sure will happen. I, you know, hold on. We really, we swallowed the lead, though. Uh, it's not swallowed the lead. Yeah, what we buried it? it. You buried the lead. Buried the lead. We buried the lead. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, episode 90. We are halfway home. Halfway home. Wow. And so we have a treat for the halfway halftime on the Seinfeld Post Show recap. What do you got? Uh, yeah, hopefully there, we won't see any nipples, but um, 
Donna Chang herself is going to be joining us and uh, answering some questions. Donna Chang. Yes. I believe her real name is uh, Angela Dorman. Yes. Okay. Well, I hope our lines don't get crossed when we try to call her and end up uh, getting George or anything like that. But that would be something. I would love to speak to George. (laughs) Hi, is is Angela Dorman there? Like, no, this is Jason Alexander. How can I help you? Like, oh, I think the lines are crossed again. Yeah. And listen, Estelle is still with us. So, uh, you know, she could answer the phone. You think she's ever done a podcast? I feel like she's never done a podcast. Probably not. Probably not. But we will find out, I'm sure, as we get fact-checked. So let's get into everything from The Chinese Woman, October 13th, 1994. Before we talk about that, Akiva, we always talk about the news. Some interesting Seinfeld news this week, right? Yeah, a bunch of people tweeted us the same story. But first, uh, Larry David is uh was named to to host saturday Night Live for i believe the first time ever yeah that's going to be very fun coming up i think it's the night before the super bowl february 6th we will have full coverage of that on post show recaps uh where myself and rich tackenberg will do our weekly snl recap coming up one thing i, I like that snl does is if they get a really big name host they generally like know they can have a no-name musical guest because sometimes they used to they usually switch between like enormous music guests and then like you know People they're trying to break that no one's ever heard. Of. Yeah. So I think it's the 1975s or something with them who I've never heard of. And never I'm, heard I, of I follow music. But yeah, barely have heard of the year. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we weren't born then. Are you a big music guy? I'm a pretty big music. Guy. I'm, there's nothing I'm like uh, super obsessed with. Keith, but, wow. We're finding out so much about you. Yeah, I, I just I have my finger. I'm like a jack of, of all trades. Master of none. I have I have my finger in a lot of different pots, <laughs> but none of them chocolate. Uh, no, no chocolate pots. Okay. So tell us what was the story that everybody was sending? Okay. Yeah. It was like dozens of people sent us the story. So basically there's a, uh, like a dear Abby type or ask Abby or whatever it's called, uh, a syndicated column called ask Amy. Mm-hmm. And here's the letter she got. Dear Amy, I recently ran into a famous local sports figure at the gym. I didn't want to bother him, but much to my surprise, he approached me. Turns out he knew me from my profession. He asked if I wanted to go out for coffee, and we exchanged numbers. A few days later, we had coffee, and I thought it was pretty cool that we were friends. Then everything changed. He told me he was interested in taking out a woman that we ran into. But she's my ex-girlfriend, and we've remained good friends. He asked me a couple times if I wouldn't mind if he asked her out. I reluctantly said no. I made plans with him, and then after talking to my ex, I found out that he ditched our plans to go out with her. The next day, he called me and asked if I could help him move some furniture. (laughs) I barely know the guy, and the next thing... He'll be asking me to drive him to the airport. Two friends of mine warned me not to trust this guy. What's the deal? Am I being too rash or should I dump the guy as a friend? Feeling foolish. And her response is, is you know, she didn't get it at all. Her response right. is, dear foolish, the good news here is you won't have to dump the guy as a friend because he's not a friend. He's an opportunist who just keeps asking you for stuff. I suspect that when you turn down his generous offer to, to let you move furniture for him, you'll likely never hear from him again. <laughs> well, she did kind of call that, right? Yes. That's so funny. You know, I had seen the headline and I saw the link, but I didn't read the actual letter. But uh, good job on the letter. Very, very funny stuff. Now, do you think that we will continue to see more of this? Will Seinfeld fans call in other advice things, talk shows, anything to try to find out like uh, some way to shoehorn Seinfeld questions? This man told me he was a marine biologist. It It says in the article, Ask Amy has been trolled in a similar manner before. Last year, someone wrote in describing the plot of the movie The Room. That must have been a much more serious letter, by the way. I've never seen that movie. But. <laughs> yeah. The Room or Room? Uh, the Room. Okay. 
Oh no, room. It says it says the room in the in the Washington Post article. Yeah, but uh, I'm. Oh no, no, no! no. It, it means the room, the horrible, the famously bad movie, the room. I thought they meant uh, the Oscar room, nominated the Oscar right? book. I really, which I, I really like that movie, and I, I read the book a couple years ago. But they meant that the Tommy Wiseau movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about it. I've heard about it. Okay, okay. So uh, fun stuff. All right, let's get into the Chinese woman because we want to uh, get to our guest today, October thirteenth, nineteen ninety four. This is a bit of a controversial episode, I think, from some people. Again, not one of the most controversial things in the history of Seinfeld. But, you know, anytime you're talking about race in the mid-90s, we'll talk about some of the ways which it may or may not be holding up here in 2016. But the episode kicks off with Jerry talking about his admiration for the Chinese people because they're sticking with the chopsticks. He says that they've seen the shovel so why are they still sticking with the chopsticks? They're not out in the field with two uh, pool cues, which I feel like is always a funny line. That always makes me laugh when I hear that joke. That is funny. And I have no idea if Chinese people actually still use chopsticks or not. Yeah. According to Jerry, in 1994, they were. And so good, good stuff. I think we're still, we're still clear here. Uh, he's talking about how much he adores the Chinese people for admires them for what they're doing. So I think we're good here. Well, there's in the whole episode, there's nothing negative about anybody. It's, you know, whether they cross lines or not is a question, but they certainly doesn't say anything bad about anybody. Yeah. Jerry and Elaine are walking down the street. We've talked about the street set here in season six. And Elaine is really struggling with carrying these bags, some groceries that she's doing and we don't call it out, but you see that Elaine is struggling and Jerry at no point offers to help her. I've been there. <laughs> we find out that Noreen, what a big player here in season six from last week, that she was the person who was dating the high talker. So she has a new boyfriend and his name is Paul, but he's a long talker. Yeah. And we never see Paul. Yeah. And he has the thing where if you call up Noreen's house, you have to talk to him and he's really boring and it's annoying. Now, didn't we already do this plot line back a couple seasons ago when Elaine had the receptionist that always needed to keep talking and it was annoying for Jerry to call the office because he didn't want to talk to Elaine's secretary? Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, you know, Jerry says, you know, can you, you know, basically he reads her the riot act, whereas they're trying to uh, avoid Paul. I just thought of uh, better not call Paul. I don't think that's (laughs) that's (laughs) Well, she's calling Noreen. That's really what she's trying to do. But you get you get Paul on the phone. So we see that Elaine and Jerry spot Frank Costanza and he is talking to a man in a cape played by Larry David. And it's funny because we again, we have no idea who Larry David is back then. But now it's just, oh, there's Larry David. Yeah. Very comical, Larry David in the cape and not a great acting job, I feel like, by Larry David. Did you catch him in any of the deleted scenes? Yeah, he's not. He's he's really not a uh, he's really not a master actor by any stretch. No. I mean, again, his famous role is playing himself (laughs) and that TV movie on HBO that wasn't very good. Those are really his only acting roles. Yeah. So we see Frank Costanza with the man in the cape. And they can't believe it. They're talking about, is it even cape weather? Where do you even go to get a cape? Akiva, have you ever seen somebody wearing a cape in real life? I mean, if you go to Times Square now, there's lots of people wearing capes. Right, but they're all in costume. Is there anybody who is wearing like a practical version of a cape? I don't think so. I, it is like an interesting style trend, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, don't, I don't think it's something that people have the cojones to pull off. No. Okay, so they decide to just like walk away and they walk on the other side of the street. So they don't even have to say hi to Frank Costanza or the man 
in the cape. You have this a lot in real life, right? Because I know I do, where like you see someone and then you're like, oh, let me go to the other side of the street because I don't want them to see me. That's like half hour. <laughs> I may have been guilty of that, Akiva. In your life yeah. or today? Not today. No, I haven't. I only took my son to school. That was it. That was it. That was the extent of it. Well, you what? don't do that with the teacher. You don't like drop him off at the door and run so you don't get into a long <laughs> talk with the teacher. I do that with my wife. If she's if I like walk past her in the room and she doesn't see like uh, look my way, I just like uh, try to keep my head down. Hope she didn't see me. You could do the fake phone thing where you pretend like you're on the phone and you have the phone to your ear. <laughs> yeah. You could do that to your wife. Walk by like, oh, yeah. I'm on the phone with Goofy Gal. Yeah. Bye. Sell. Sell. <laughs> 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 so we get back to Jerry's apartment and Elaine struggles with the groceries, putting them on the counter. Jerry tells her, hey, just put those over there. But doesn't that imply that these are Jerry's groceries? Doesn't this change the scene a bit for you? Yeah, I, I, Amir asks this question. I think it's even worth reading his question because he phrases it well. So he says, whose grocery bags are the bags that Elaine are carrying at the beginning of the episode? It seems like they're Jerry's given that, one, he tells her where to put them when they get inside. And two, why would she do her grocery shopping on the way to Jerry's apartment rather than on her way home? If so, why is she carry? Why is she carrying his bags? Did she lose a bet to him? Something here doesn't make sense. I agree. I think because Jerry's telling her where to put them down. I think it has to be Jerry's stuff. And they're just showing how lazy he is and that she'll do anything for him. Yeah. Is it like that Jerry has like tennis elbow or something or like is he, pull his he probably shoulder said out? like, oh, I got a show tonight. I don't want to strain myself. Yeah. OK, so then Jerry says he's going to call up George. They get a very depressed message from George on the answering machine. He's like, hey, it's George. I've got nothing to say, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny answering message. George on answering machines is always great. Yeah, you can't go wrong with George on the answering machine. There is there is as the rest of the series goes on, there's a tremendous amount of answering machine humor. Between, you know, figuring out who's the speed dial and and believe it or not, George isn't home. There's a lot of it coming. Okay, so Jerry puts in a phone call to George, but he ends up connecting to a different woman, uh, a woman named Donna Chang. And then he thinks it's just a wrong number. And he says, you know, there's a shame. I love Asian women. Yeah. And again, um, he really for does he say Asian Chinese, or Chinese women? This time? Chinese I think women. this time he says Chinese because he does. He, soon he's going to say that. You know, he's never dated in the Pacific Rim before, which is one of the more questionable things he says. Yeah. And so then Elaine says, you know, isn't that a little racist? Elaine calls it out. And he says, I, if I like their race, how can that be racist? I don't know. So are you saying is, is this a little bit like the I have one black friend type of thing? <laughs> well, in one of the criticisms of the episode in which I read what they did where it was from the list of the top 10 most racist episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, this episode was called out. <laughs> at number seven and they you know call on this line it's not racist if i like them what the criticism is is that it says here in this episode seinfeld fetishizes asian women without having any asian women actually in the show that's true we don't have like sort of a doppelganger there's no sort of side you know lady who's also there with donna chang there's no asian person in the entire episode you're right yeah um yeah and i also think i don't know how much of a compliment Asian women take it. There was actually an interesting podcast. I think it was on startup, the startup podcast where they talked about how, um, there's a, a huge sort of fetish that, that there's a certain type of guy who only dates Asian women. Mm -hmm. And it, and Asian women are so aware of this to the point where like they'll, they'll ask, a, it's very common. That they'll ask a guy before they start going out, uh, what's your, you know, dating history? Like how many, you know, and if and it's like, Oh, I've only dated eight women. They're all Asian. They're more likely not to be interested just because like, oh, he's just sort of 
looking to date any Asian, you, you know, and that he my can type find. more than me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if even though he's complimenting them, they don't say a single bad word about Asian people. Uh, it's, I, I don't think if I was an Asian person, I'd pr- be particularly like, oh, that's nice that he wants, you know, I, I don't think I'd really care one way or the other about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kramer also mentions in the episode that he has a thing for Asian women. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, they could, they don't, they, they don't say anything. They could have gotten a lot worse and they didn't really put their foot in their mouth that badly. <laughs> okay. So then Jerry calls back again and once again gets Donna Chang and he finds out that the lines have been crossed. Akiva, is this even a thing? Um, uh, yeah, it was. It definitely was a thing back then that the lines, it was more of a party line where it, I don't know if it was a phone number thing. I think it was like a wires thing where you'd, I, like you would definitely hear on, you know, non cell phones back in the day, you would sometimes hear someone else having a conversation. Yeah. One time I, I heard my neighbor ordering Chinese food. Oh. <laughs> and I saw them the next day and they were like, no, I didn't order Chinese food. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you definitely did. How ironic in the Chinese woman episode. That's right. It could have <laughs> been the same day it aired. Who knows? I was, I was a little kid. Okay. So Jerry ends up calling back with Donna Chang. And so he got her number. And so we find out that Jerry is going to go on a date with Donna Chang. Donna Chang he finds out uh, then suggests a dinner at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, which is right. At least Jerry didn't suggest it, but still interesting. Interesting. Okay. So Kramer has also come into the room and Kramer is talking about his underwear. He wears jockeys, uh, not silk boxers, which I guess he had tried at some point, but he likes jockeys. He says his boys need a house. Yeah. Famous line. Famous line. So we get a lot of talk here about the sperm count of Kramer, which Jerry and Elaine feel like uh, could be low because of the jockeys. Yeah. And I think in in our emails, when we get to them, there's uh, a debate one way or the other if that's true or not. Yeah, I think that we had some conflicting reports here on uh, the science behind uh, Kramer's boys and their house. Yeah. And also and also the fact that they're calling them jockeys, which is uh, (laughs) right. What would you call them? Briefs, right? Now they're just briefs or tidy whities even is better than, but I guess they don't have to be white. But yeah, briefs yeah. is uh, by the, you know, because even even when Bill Clinton's running for president or or goes on MTV famously in the early 90s, they say boxers are briefs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who, who the old lady here who's, you know, calling them jockeys. Is. <laughs> well, it's Kramer. Yeah, I guess. OK, so we have something. I feel like this is a little bit of some weird dialogue that happens. So Kramer asks Jerry if he's had his sperm count checked. And Jerry says, well, I don't need to worry about that. I wear boxers. And Kramer wants to know, did you ever get a woman pregnant? Jerry says those records are permanently sealed. Does this imply that Jerry got a woman pregnant? I mean, it's because why wouldn't you just say no if the answer was no, right? (laughs) Right. And it's ironic because next week is an episode that deals, uh, you know, a great deal with abortion. (laughs) So anyway, that Jerry turns it around on Kramer. So then Kramer says, what would you say if I told you I never impregnated a woman? And Jerry says pretty incredulously, you mean you never slipped one past the goalie in all these years? I'm surprised you've slept with a lot of women. Yeah, slip one past the goalie is another very famous Seinfeld line that people use, you know, in, without even realizing it's a Seinfeld line anymore. Did Seinfeld invent that? That's a good question. I don't know the etymology of that phrase, but it's, it's very possible. I kind of feel like that that had to have been... A colloquialism before Seinfeld. Yeah, I mean, again, when we say invented it, they popularized it. Who knows? You know, I, it, this isn't necessarily like being invented in the writer's room. Yeah. 
And Kramer almost seems disappointed <laughs> that he did sleep with a lot of women and he has not impregnated anybody to his knowledge. Yeah, he says, you slept with women, lots of women, he yells. Yeah, it's like, you better get down to the fertility clinic because you need to be, you know, uh, you know, producing some uh, bastard children, Kramer. Yeah, you got I mean, it's more of it's not that he wants kids as much as I mean, of course he does, because he says the last Kramer of his name. Yeah. House Kramer. But, (laughs) you know, it's more like at this point, it's this is like a manliness issue where he's, you know, he's he's upset about it. And Kramer is then like, well, if I go to the fertility clinic. I would have to, you know, into a cup in the middle of the day, uh, which is odd that Kramer is hung up on this. Yeah. I mean, he came in last place in the contest. And <laughs> yeah, remember, he was in and out of that room. We counted in under 50 seconds. Right. Well, Elaine has a really great line here. She comes back with uh, why does that conflict with your regular schedule? Yeah. Yeah. Very funny stuff. All right. So Kramer ends up leaving and Elaine decides she's going to try Noreen again. And she gets Paul. And she just hangs up the phone again. Yeah. Better to hang up than to talk to Paul. <laughs> so really, all these Noreen boyfriends are have this one trait in common. They have to be answering the phone. They're all screening Noreen's phone calls. They're really going to this very similar well two episodes in a row. Yeah, it really is crazy that I'm not sure how many other storylines we have like this that have almost a similar plot line with the same actress back to back episodes. Yeah, the same guest actress also. Yeah. Okay. So we really should have gotten Noreen for this podcast. We should have. No, well, she has a bigger arc than Donna Chang. So George enters and uh, George wants to know, why didn't Jerry call him back? Uh, yeah. Why didn't Jerry call him back? Yeah. Well, it turns out that the lines are crossed. Now, was George getting Donna Chang's phone calls? Yeah, He never really says he is. We know that, you know, when you try and speak to when when Estelle tries to speak to George, he's getting Donna Chang. But I'm not sure if it works both ways like that. Yeah. So maybe just if the calls are coming in to George, they're just going to Donna Chang, but maybe the calls to Donna Chang are going somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a double line crisscross. Thing <laughs> the lines are in a knot, basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. So Elaine and Jerry mentioned that they saw Frank in the city and he was with a man who was wearing a cape. Yeah. And the, yeah. And George is uh, pretty, you know, he's apparently he's never met his dad's lawyer. He's pretty baffled by this. Yeah. <laughs> And he's at first a little bothered that they didn't say hi to his dad, but he's much more disconcerted with the fact that they, he, his dad was with a guy with a cape and George ends up leaving. Like, it's the weirdest thing in terms of blocking. It's like George just comes over, has a 30 second conversation and then leaves. Yeah. And, and it's the end of the scene. It's not like they need George to leave for the rest of the scene. This is one of the longest <laughs> scenes in the whole series. Uh, yeah, but he leaves at the end of it. Yeah, they, what? What was he coming over to? Was he coming over to hang out? And it's like ah, I can't stay here after hearing. Right, he this. like came over to the house. Here's this one piece of information that is probably nothing. Parked his like, car. Right? right, exactly. Is he so shocked to hear that Frank Costanza <laughs> hangs out with weird people? I mean, he's in the apartment for less than a minute before he ends up leaving. <laughs> okay, so now we see Kramer at the fertility clinic. And the doctor comes in and he wants to know if Kramer wants to start a family. And Kramer immediately knows by the doctor's reaction that he has a low sperm count. Yeah. So the news is not good. You could tell by, you know, a doctor will, will perk up if he's got something good to tell. You. <laughs> and so the doctor says, you need to get off the jockeys. You need to be in boxer shorts, Kramer. Yeah. So he's believing the same myth as everybody else, apparently. <laughs> Is it a myth? Well, well, I guess we'll find out. At the we'll end discuss of it later. We'll, <laughs> we'll ask Donna Chang. 
<laughs> if she has uh, done any research on the subject. Okay. So then we see Jerry in the waiting room or uh, waiting to be served or seated at the Chinese restaurant. Again, no callback to the famous Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. No, not the same restaurant. Okay. So we have a guy smoking in the lobby of the restaurant. Uh, Jerry has a funny line. The guy says, you want me to put this out? He says, no, I secondhand smoke two packs a day, which is very funny. But again, so unsettling to see somebody smoking indoors on TV. Yeah, it's shocking. If Bloomberg watches this, he shuts off the television. When he sees this <laughs> like, that's it. I've had enough. And so, in comes... By the way, one of his campaign things is going to... Even shows which show someone smoking in a restaurant are going to be banned if he becomes president. <laughs> and the sodas are going to be a lot smaller. Oh, no, the sodas are done. Forget it. You want your sodas, you better vote Trump. <laughs> okay, so in comes the great Angela Dorman. First appearance of Donna Chang. Yes, and she is not a Chinese woman. Okay. Now, we find out that Donna Chang says, okay, I guess this happens to her a lot. Oh, did you think I was Chinese? My last name originally was Changstein. Which, by the way, is not a Jewish name. <laughs> it's not? No? Changstein? Well, my, my last name was originally Wiener Kurovich. I just tried to, you know, make it sound, like really flow off the tongue. I switched it to Wiener. It wasn't Chang Wienerker? That wouldn't be bad, but then I would just go, I would just keep the Chang. I would get rid of the Wienerker. Yeah, Keith Chang. You'd have the same thing as Donna Chang. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Donna Chang and her motivation. Is Donna Chang intentionally misleading people? And if so, to what end? I think she's just, uh, it's, admit, it's, it's guilt by, by omission, basically, that she's like, she's not going to say anything. If you ask her if she's Chinese, of course, she's going to say no. And once you meet her, the cat is out of the bag. Okay. But, but I think she's not going to tell you beforehand, like, oh, by the way, you're like, uh, you know, I'm from Long Island. I know my name is Chang, but I'm really, you know, a Jewish lady. But does Donna Chang want people to think that she's a Chinese woman? We're led to believe she does. Why? Because she... I mean, I guess they're they're beating around the bush with acupuncture, with Confucius, mm -hmm. you know, with her going to a Chinese restaurant. I guess those are really the only three clues, plus the the R's, which is racist when, you know, yes. later. But that's but like, is Jerry just hearing things in his head? Who knows? Well, Jerry might be, but we're not. Right. We hear that she does. But we're, are, are we in Jerry's perspective? Is that canon that she really said it? <laughs> it's a good question. All right. This show is 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 this just like a fever dream? The whole series from Jerry's mind. You're right that we could be you know perceiving things uh, from Jerry's point of view in that scene. But Akiva, to me, the thing that doesn't make sense, like if she is doing some Chinese version of catfishing, and you know, I'm not even going to attempt to come up with a new name for this. If Don Chang is intentionally misleading people to believe that she is an Asian or specifically a Chinese woman, why is she going out and meeting people in person? Like, let's say I'm a person who's catfishing guys and I'm pretending to be a woman online. I'm doing everything in my power to not meet the guy to say, oh, no, let's just, you know, uh, let's just text. OK, I, I, I don't want to go on a date and meet me. You know, I'm not saying, hey, let's go out lingerie shopping. And then I show up at the lingerie store. And then, oh, no. Uh, you, oh, you thought I was a woman the whole time? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, do, should we ask her this question? <laughs> I would love to know from her what is her motivation as an actor? How did she play the scene? Was Donna Chang intentionally misleading people? Yeah. I'm sure she'll have an answer. <laughs> Has she been thinking about the role for many years? I'm sure she gets, uh, I'm sure she gets uh, recognized and, you know, and, and answers questions about it all the time. Unless she is just somebody, Donna Chang, 
who is like the person who is waiting for you to sort of like uh, imply that she's Chinese and then just like waiting to jump on you and to call you a racist. I don't I but we don't see any of that in the episode. Right. Is she like trying to be like intentionally? Is she just like waiting to jump down somebody's throat, like really indignant? Like, oh, why? Just because my last name is Chang? You thought I was Chinese? Yeah, we never see her doing that. Yeah, so that's, I could see that as a motivation for somebody who just wants to be able to like be on their high horse with people, but we don't see that from Donna Chang either. No. So yeah, we have no reason to believe that that's what she would do. Okay, so we see Jerry and Elaine back at Jerry's apartment, and Jerry is telling Elaine she's not Chinese, she's not even Asian, she's just like you. And Elaine has a good line also again, like, oh, how disappointing for you. (laughs) What does that even mean, she's just like Elaine? Uh, She's just like a white person. I guess. Okay, and Jerry says, it's false advertising. Again, he thought that he was getting the Chinese woman. (laughs) I do like that idea of that being false advertising. Yeah, like she should have to tell everyone. It should be the first (laughs) thing that comes out of her mouth. Again, I think that there's a funny dialogue when Elaine's, well, why are you dating her? He's like, well, she is a woman. (laughs) Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, so, hey, have you heard this? Paul and Noreen might be breaking up. Yeah, what a tragedy. (laughs) And Jerry says, well, maybe it's because you keep calling up and hanging up. Maybe he thinks that there's something going on. That's like a pretty big leap for Jerry to make. But I guess, uh, you know, he ends up being right. But yeah, like, would Jerry really know to, to like intuit that? Well, I think it makes sense based on the events from last week's episode of that. <laughs> Noreen and her last boyfriend broke up because of Elaine's phone calls to the house. Yeah, that's true. She does have a history. And, and you know, they have such a. Noreen and, and Elaine have such a deeper history than we even know about until Kramer discusses it later. Right. And we also know that Noreen is somebody who, Jer- in Jerry's mind, is somebody who's out there being very flirty with people. So maybe that Noreen's new boyfriend could pick up on this, too. Yeah, it's possible Noreen was, you know, uh, you know, maybe there were guys calling and hanging up besides Elaine. Yeah. All right. So Kramer comes in with a big handful of jockeys and he wants Jerry to take them and, you know, there's some, uh, you know, funny physical comedy of Kramer, like like trying to put the underwear on the table and Jerry being very skeeved out by the whole thing. Jerry ends up saying, oh, well, now I'll have to move. Yeah, I mean, that is like they are really they do play it off like they're afraid. But, you know, someone brings you a whole, you know, batch of their tidy whities. No one's going near that. Really? Why can't Kramer just throw them in the garbage? Yeah. What is, yeah. Why does he says like he can't have one in the house because he'll wear them. But throw them out the window. We know he throws things out the window. Give him the goodwill. I don't know if goodwill takes on the way. <laughs> they don't? I, don't, I hope not. Yeah, I never exactly know what they take. I just try to like uh, give <laughs> them as give much them underwear. And they I just try to give them whatever. And before they like take a good accounting, I'm trying to be out of there. I once dropped off at some museum. I said, like, hey, do you want this book? My boss, when I was in college, said, bring them like he, he, they, he had like commissioned a book and no one wanted them. <laughs> and they had, we had hundreds. So I took a cab. I put like two boxes of like 40 books each. So like 80 of these books and just dropped a museum door. So I got an email the next day. Never bring us a book again. We're good. We're good. 80, 80 of the same book that nobody would ever want. I'm sure they just- <laughs> why, can, why did you have to make a special trip for eight books? 80, 80. 80. So we see George and Frank again at Monk's. And so here's Frankistan's back in the city. And again, this makes almost no sense of why are George and Frank meeting at Monk's? Uh, Frank says he likes that there's no mosquitoes in the city. Yeah, but we just established that that Frank Costanza is never in Manhattan. So it's weird he's in Manhattan again. But I guess if he has to keep meeting with the lawyer, maybe that's really why he's there. Okay. And George mentions that, hey, Jerry and Elaine saw you and he wants to know, why didn't they say hello to me? Yeah, and it's funny because like there was George's first reaction too. it is a little bit like father like son. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't just say hello. <laughs> and he says to hell with them. 
<laughs> so Frank I, writes off a lot of people throughout the series. <laughs> right. And so Jerry, he doesn't know why he wouldn't say it to him. Elaine, he could see she's very, he says, what's the word? Supercilious. <laughs> I'm impressed that Frank knows that word. He has a great vocabulary, Frank Costanza. Yes, little known fact. Okay. And so <laughs> he still can't get over it. All right, so Jerry is now uh, back with uh, Donna Chang, and they still, they can't find the problem. And this is the scene that we're talking about, where Donna Chang very clearly says, yes, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, and I think this is the thing that holds up the worst. I feel like you can't, you probably can't even make this joke now. Maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe some like crazy FX show could do it. I don't know. But to like do it earnestly, I'm not so sure. But I mean, it is a funny scene, you know, standing on its own. You know what? Again, I hadn't watched this episode in a very long time that I thought that it was almost going to be okay that she said it. But it was sort of like, did she say it or did she not say it? But then I think having Jerry call it out, I think really shines a light on it in an unflattering way in 2016 sure because who cares if she said ridiculous yeah like it's sort of like i I think that if it was just him sort of like you know like cocking his head to the side like did she or did she not like but i think then when he you know uh calls it out and then also you know says the thing about oh were the rhines crossed later on in the episode i think that's probably goes a bit too far right and i thought the stereotype was the opposite wasn't it that you that that someone would say uh uh, an L instead of a D? An L? I mean, an L instead of an R? Say an L instead of an R. I, that, I, I'd have to sort of get a I don't know. Out. I don't have my racist stereotypes down, but yeah. I, I, maybe maybe it's a mix. Maybe it's like the lines crossing. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I have any like, racist I, stereotype expert, they could. I suspect they're the experts, Akiva. <laughs> okay. So George barges in, and we get the first meeting of George and Donna Chang. And so uh, that's where Jerry says here the thing about uh, the rhines being crossed. And so Donna Chang breaks the news to George. Hey, I talked to your mom and I'm sorry to hear that your parents are getting divorced. Crazy opening line. Even if you have to assume that they would tell their son. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's clearly fresh if she spoke to her for an hour. She has to know that. Yeah. It's like crazy to bring that up to George is the first thing. And so George, he immediately does not even react to verbally. He opens up the oven, turns the oven on, puts his head in. Pretty crazy. <laughs> very dramatic. I feel like that's a very like stage thing that you would do like if it was a play more than a TV show. Uh, yeah, it's not the it's not the most stage thing probably that happens in the whole episode. But yeah. <laughs> okay. So now we see. Uh, Jerry and Elaine uh, back at the apartment and they're talking about how you know it's a shame that uh, George's parents didn't get divorced uh, 30 years ago I do think that probably would have been better for everyone (laughs) yeah and George comes out of the bathroom and he starts to realize oh my god I have to make twice as many visits now it's like running a double marathon it is true like my wife's parents are divorced and we go down to Florida you have to do Friday night dinner at one and then Saturday lunch at another and then if we were just with both There would be no time limits. Let's say we wanted to go to a friend once we were done, leave at night. But now because they each have time, they each want their time. You know, they're a few hours. So it is true. It's very tricky. And so Elaine asked the question, did you notice that there was anything wrong? And Jerry wants to know, have you ever spent any time with these people? (laughs) Right. There's nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a crazy question. Yeah. And George puts two and two together. He says, this must have something to do with the man in the cape. I don't trust the man in the cape. And Jerry gets very defensive over superman and they have a, a bit of a back and forth over you know i uh, did the man with the cape ruin capes for everybody 
Yeah, I don't think he did. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Jerry is very defensive of Superman here. That's true. There's a funny close up of Elaine really rolling her eyes during this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And not a big Superman fan, Elaine. All right. So Kramer barges in and says, hey, I just heard that Noreen and Paul are breaking up. Again, everybody like knows Paul like on like a first name basis. Like he was another mutual friend of theirs. Like wouldn't Kramer was talking about like, hey, I heard Noreen is breaking up with her new boyfriend. Like how does everybody just on like a first name basis already with Paul? And how does Kramer know? Like how does he find out before Elaine, who was supposedly one of Noreen's best friends? Like how does he know? Like, did he read it on Twitter? Like, how does Kramer find out about this breakup? Was it I don't paper? know. He is kind of like the mayor and he does sort of get all of this gossip pretty. It's true. You know why? Because he's friends with like everyone in the building and every you know, and like everyone in the in the neighborhood. So it is true. He is kind of like the mayor. <laughs> OK, so Kramer is not going to let Noreen slip through his fingers again. Like, well, How did he miss out in between? <laughs> again, he's a baritone. How did he miss out in between the high talker and the long talker? I mean, Noreen is, you know, she's one of those people that always needs, uh, you know, uh, like a significant other. So she's always going to be in a relationship. So okay. Kramer, you know, he might have missed that day and that's it. He was, you know, and we're talking about this relationship like it's such an important relationship, but they weren't dating last week. So it's not like they've been dating for years and it's a big deal. That they're breaking up. Jerry mentions later on in the episode about how a couple of weeks ago you just broke up her and her last boyfriend. So we should assume that it's probably been like two or three weeks since the events of the pledge drive. Right. And they're also putting that in maybe because a lot of times they this episode, I believe, was right after the previous one uh, in terms of when they filmed it. But a lot of times they move them around. So I think they're just covering their bases by saying that. All right. Speaking of moving around, Jerry notices that Kramer seems pretty light on his feet. And he says to him, well, it looks like you really adjusted to the boxers. Kramer says that, no, that is actually not the case. Uh, and Jerry says, oh, you went back to the jockeys. No, wrong again. And we find out that uh, Kramer has a new look. I believe on Friends, they would say that this is going commando. Did Friends invent commando? I think that Friends might have invented at least or popularized Commando. But I feel like that was more of an invention from Friends. They don't come up with a term, even though Seinfeld has many more things that they come up with. They don't come up with a word for this. No, no. He says the thin layer of Gabardine line and no one knows what Gabardine is. Yeah. And so Jerry says, uh, you know, say it ain't so. And Kramer informs. Yes. <laughs> oh, it be so. And Kramer has, I think, another famous line from this episode. He says, I'm out there, Jerry, and I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah, it is a famous line. You remember when they had like waves, like dot WAV files on mm-hmm. when like they when like AOL 2.0. <laughs> so like you could make it where like you got an an IM on AOL and like you'd it would make a sound and everyone had those. I don't know. I don't know if you had them. And you had that one. That was one of my if like if like someone maybe like a new friend signed on instead of like the like the door open door close. It was I'm out there, Jerry. But sometimes it would be like 20 times a minute. You'd have to shut up the sound. <laughs> <laughs> and i think they could have gone out on that because then the next line that kramer says is a little uh not as memorable and certainly weird uh jerry wants to know don't you need a little help and kramer says uh surprisingly no i'm free i'm unfettered i'm like a naked innocent boy roaming the countryside yeah it's bizarre and in the deleted scenes <laughs> gets weird they have some line about like the sheep or something makes even less sense <laughs> yeah the whole thing is uh is pretty weird again these scenes get deleted for a reason and that was certainly one of them because then they, it is like uh, more talk between george about the man in the cape and it's all stuff that you don't need so we go back to monks noreen and elaine again a bit of a shot for shot remake of a scene from the pledge drive when they're back at the counter 
And they're talking about the plight of Noreen with her new boyfriend. Yeah, it is very similar. Same spot. Yeah, uh, I did. I, I thought that they should have had Elaine when when Elaine does tell Noreen that Paul's boring. She should have like come up with more like funny, bad qualities that, you know, good qualities. that he I had. agree 100 percent, because in last week's episode, there was the conversation about like, oh, he's a high talker. You didn't notice that. And she's like, well, he's uh, he's bald. That That's definitely <laughs> something that a man would have. And I do feel like that. Yeah, I felt like they cut it short and they didn't say like, well, he, you know, knows a lot of trivia. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess he belches. <laughs> Right, but we need to make it about being boring. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, they should have gone there. But I, maybe they're saying here, Elaine is past the point of caring how much she screwed up Noreen. So we find out that Paul went insane. He was convinced Noreen was having an affair and that Elaine starts to feel a little bad about it and tries to sort of rationalize, well, maybe that somebody didn't want to make boring chit-chat with him. And Noreen very quickly picks up on this. Yeah, I mean, listen, Noreen, she's not, she's not going to be the first person to notice it. She had no idea... That her long-term boyfriend had a ridiculous voice. She's not going to notice within a week that he's boring. But why, why ruin? Like, if he has a bad voice, at least it like bothers you. Who cares if he's boring? You know, she shouldn't break up with him over that. Isn't the problem more that he's incredibly jealous and went insane? Yes, that is it. Yeah, like they're right that he should break up with her, but not because the boring thing. Yeah. So we now go back to Jerry's apartment. And we start to get more of the backstory about the complicated character of Noreen. And Jerry mentions how this is the second relationship you ruined for her. And now she met a new guy. <laughs> She's able to pick up the pieces from the last flame out. And then Elaine ends up breaking up with him because she doesn't want to talk to him. And then we find out about how that Elaine talked Noreen into joining the army. Yeah, that sounds crazy. And then... When she wasn't having fun in the army, Elaine talked her into going AWOL. So she's like a Bo Bergdahl. Yes. They had to go in and get her. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, the, the boring metaphor extends to Paul. That's the Sarah Koenig in this situation. <laughs> she's a long talker. Is that what you're yeah, saying? She is a long talker. Serial season two is a long talker. And then so Jerry says, hey, just don't tell her to jump off a bridge, uh, which sets up the scene at the end of the episode. But what is going on with Noreen? I mean, why would Elaine tell her to join the army? And who would listen when Elaine tells you to join the army? Yeah, and go AWOL. I did feel like that this was, for me, <laughs> excuse the bridge metaphor, but a bridge too far with the Noreen character. I mean, no, I don't think so, because everyone has one friend when they're growing up. And if you don't, maybe you were that friend where it's like they'll do anything you say because they're just so happy that they're friends with you. Join the army? Why would Elaine even suggest that? I don't know. She's bored. She's using Noreen as her puppet and just <laughs> telling her to do things. Maybe she wanted her out of her hair. She had a really annoying boyfriend. She's like, get out of here. Go join the army. Yeah. She's like, maybe she's just like join the army. And then maybe if someone who's really unstructured, maybe that is a good idea for them. <laughs> but the thing about her going AWOL, like, wouldn't she be arrested? Yeah. But, you know, she's so crazy. They probably just wrote her down as like a dishonorable discharge. So Elaine is like, okay, well, maybe I could talk her back into it. Jerry says, hey, if she does everything you say, you talk her back into it. So Elaine thinks that's a good idea. All right. So Donna Chang comes up and we find out that Donna Chang talked Mrs. Costanza out of the divorce. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, Donna Chang, like uh, really sweet talked her. And I, it's funny that she like describes Estelle as this crazy person, as this sweet person, because I think over the phone, Estelle does sound like she's normal. Yeah. You, it's only with with her foil. High talker. Yeah, with her with her foil around with with uh, her <laughs> husband. Frank. Yeah, that she's uh, you know that she becomes a crazy person. Yeah, I think Estelle minus 
Frank and minus George, I think tends to be, you know, a pretty nice person. Yeah, I think if you just had her at the Mahjong game, she'd be totally fine. Fine. <laughs> She's not one of these crazy ladies, yeah. Yeah, like you get her around any of these other strangers, the maestro, Kramer, you know, she seems like, uh, you know, she's very easily swept off her feet. Yes. So Donna Chang now needs to get on the phone. She needs to cancel her acupuncture. Again, does this give us any insight into what Donna Chang is up to? Not really. It's just another sort of minor stereotype that they're taking the box for. So now George is back with his parents. He barges in. And he says, like, hey, you can't get divorced. And they said, no, they changed her mind. Your mother changed her mind because she spoke with the Chinese woman. Yes, the Chinese woman. Another thing we haven't mentioned yet, but like there's no differentiation in this episode between Chinese and like the entire continent of like over two billion people (laughs) of Asia. Right. Because like I don't think Chang automatically means you're Chinese. It could be Taiwanese. It could be probably a bunch of different. You know, it's a very common. Yeah, Not the strong suit of this episode. No, no, that it could have been like. And I don't know if naming the episode the Asian woman really would would solve our problem. But, mm-hmm. you know, they really and it's even funny because Jerry says, like, oh, I'd go to the Pacific Rim. Like he just he also he just wants to date an Asian woman. Yeah. So Frank and Estelle, they tell George, look, we're not getting divorced. Your mother changed her mind. And so no divorce is happening. Again, George is very concerned about he's not going to have two Thanksgivings with them. Again, a very realistic concern. So George wants to. Know, All right. Let me ask you a question. Who was the man in the cape? Yeah, he was the lawyer. He was the lawyer. Yeah. He's very independent. He doesn't follow trends. And Estelle seems to hate the lawyer. She says he looks ridiculous in that thing. I guess he wears it all the time. Well, you'd always hate the lawyer who's like defending your husband in the divorce. <laughs> yeah. And so Frank is very quick to jump down her throat. And say, you have no eye for fashion. <laughs> I have no eye for fashion. <laughs> There's really nothing better when they, they get both the voices raised. Yeah. It's so funny when they're both yelling at each other. Okay. So uh, Jerry is driving over with Donna Chang because uh, that obviously Estelle wanted Donna Chang to come over for dinner. And again, Donna Chang does not say, oh, no, 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 no. I cannot see you in person. Like, uh, you know, this would be a bad idea for us. to Like, let's just be pen pals. Yeah, she has no self-awareness of the situation. She doesn't think, oh, she's going to see me and, you know, and and it's going to call it off. She doesn't even know necessarily that she's listening to her because she's a Chinese woman. She just thinks she has good advice. Right. And so Jerry wants to know, what did you say to Mrs. Costanza? And she gave some pieces of wisdom from Confucius. Yeah. (laughs) And Jerry does call it out. You know, you're not Chinese. And the scene ends there. It would be nice to know what Donna (laughs) Chang said in response to that. Yeah. They kind of leave in a little piece of the puzzle out there. I would suspect if the scene went on, I almost feel like Donna Chang would say, like, of course, I'm not Chinese. Why would you? Why would you? Right. I, I agree. You know. But also, she, I think she must be annoyed by this because it's also worth mentioning. We, we never see Donna Chang again, but they don't break up in this episode. Yeah. Although she does say when they come in, oh, you thought I was Chinese. So I feel like she's like, again, is this still because of my last name? Like, I almost feel like that the actions she's doing, I think, make she doesn't connect that she's doing things that make people think she's Chinese in addition to having the last name Chang. Right. I, right. But it's also because this is one of the only girlfriends ever that the relationship ends, but we don't see a natural end to it where Jerry breaks up with her or vice versa. Yeah. That, you know, maybe she's annoyed by this. Like this, he's sowing the seeds here of the end of the relationship. All right. So now we see Noreen with Kramer as Elaine calls up and Elaine wants to speak to Noreen. Kramer does not let Elaine speak with Noreen. He's going to be making the decisions for Noreen from now on. Yeah. And by the way, how, like going from Elaine to Kramer is like going from typhus to polio. 
<laughs> I just thought of that. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. <laughs> right. Now, is Kramer attracted to the fact that here is this very impressionable woman who can't make decisions on her own? Is that what he likes about Noreen? Yeah, because Kramer has these wacky ideas and no one, everyone's just rolling their eyes and ignoring him. Yeah. So he's looking for somebody who's just going to be an enabler to all of his craziness. Totally. Yeah. They're going to make your own pizza store. She's going to be there. <laughs> she's going to be right there beside him. That must be I mean, nice. other than the fact that it happens next week and she's not there. But in, in theory, she'd be there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, apparently she goes for the idea of, hey, uh, let me impregnate you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, she, she goes, goes for something that no other woman is, uh, you know, considering up until this point. Yeah. Or at least maybe they were considering it, but Kramer was. Right, no, everyone could have been considering it. It's possible he tried thousands of times. It just, uh, his sperm count was too low. But here's the thing that Kramer talks about earlier in the episode about how I'm not going to let Noreen slip through my fingers again. And he tells Elaine, I've talked her into going back into the army. Right. So you're saying, why is he sending her away? Yes. He says to Elaine, there she'll get the structure and the discipline she needs right now. I mean, doesn't kramer dating her imply that he sees himself as the person to be the structure and the discipline for her like if he likes her so much why would he send her off to the army is it that he got sick of her in dating her for a day yeah he probably it's probably it's a good question but probably you know it seems like everyone who spends time with her you know either tries to get a new boyfriend or or you know loses their mind so it's possible that it's her it's her not me okay so now we have estelle finally meeting Donna Chang, she comes in, Estelle, very quickly, calls out that I thought you were Chinese. And Donna says, no, I'm from Long Island. And again, Estelle cannot reconcile this fact that she thought she was talking to a Chinese woman. And so she feels duped, Akiva. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that she'll say this out loud to this lady. <laughs> yeah, like this is, this, you know, it's one thing to like say when the party's over later. Yeah, the divorce is back on. And George is like, no, what do you mean? What, that, what, she just gave you advice. And he said, I didn't know I was talking to some girl from Long Island. <laughs> I do. I do like George's. Uh, I do like George's, you know, line. You're getting a divorce because she's from Long Island. Yeah. And also a real Long Island girl like would have would have yelled back here. Now she's being very passive. <laughs> like some imagine someone saying this to your wife. Like she's not going to be like, just sitting there meekly and taking it. Right. right, right. What is like, there? Something get divorced. Something wrong with Long Island. Yeah. And then a uh, true great Frank Costanza line, uh, you want a divorce? You get a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry, uh, you know, back to Donna Chang, uh, you should consider changing your name. Yeah, which why? You know, let her uh, keep her name. Okay. All right. And then uh, we see that finally uh, Elaine talks about how yet, you know, Noreen won't even talk to her. Yeah, he can't, she can't get through the iron wall of Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, Jerry says, oh, just like uh, Noreen listened to you, like uh, George's mother listened to the Chinese. It's true. Look where it got her. Yeah. And then they talk about how everybody listens to the Chinese because they put uh, fortune cookies. The Chinese restaurant's the only place you could do that. Jerry says, yeah, nobody's listening to uh, what you would read in a rolled up scroll in a Kanish. Funny line. <laughs> that is a funny line. That <laughs> In like the Kanish would be a bad food to have like a piece of paper in the middle though. <laughs> it would be very soggy. You need it in some sort of tube, some sort of like yeah, uh, yeah, some sort of like metal spit maybe that would have like a scroll rolled up. But generally, it. the food in the food, like the the fortune cookie works because it's so small that you break it open before you eat it. But a Kanish is so like big. If it's a good Kanish, it's like this beautiful thing. You don't want to like break it open. Yeah. But putting the food, so there are some people, it's, it's more of like a wacky superstition, but there are some people that put a key in the hollow once a year. 
Yeah, in the bread. In their challah? Yeah. And then, like, you accidentally eat it. You're, like, breaking your tooth. Ah. Yeah, that seems like a <laughs> terrible idea. Yeah, bad idea. Never <laughs> never do that. Uh, but the the challah bread, uh, that is delicious, as is the knish. Yeah, but no, there's no fortune cookie. You wouldn't want a challah bread with a fortune cookie in it. No, not really. Rather that than a key, though. Yeah, the key is bad. I mean, they, but here's the thing. Then, so now, because the people don't want to bite in it, they wrap the key up in aluminum foil. But any food that touches that or tinfoil, I never know the difference. Mm-hmm. The one that's like, uh, that's harder. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, so then you accidentally take a bite of that and it's the worst day of your life. I don't know if you've accidentally ever like had a piece of aluminum foil in your mouth. Yeah. Like it breaks off, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, it's so like sharp. It hurts your teeth. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of like uh, getting uh, goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, totally. That's <laughs> exactly what happens. All right. So then George gets out of a cab. And I'm not sure why George isn't driving a car at this point, but he gets out of a cab and he talks about how he had lunch with his mom. It was like a date. Then he went to his dad's house and played Clue. Clue. Uh, that seems like a very funny scene. George and Frank Costanza playing Clue. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like that was the last time anyone played Clue. <laughs> and Kramer pops his head out and he says like, hey, guess what? The Kramer name might live on. Noreen is late. She's late. Yeah, famous end. It ends up not being the end of the episode, but you know, the, sort of like the, the like the last real scene. That's a very famous uh, scene. And so we come back and no post credit comedy. Uh, we end up with Noreen looking over like the edge of a bridge, like she's gonna jump. And then we have the man with the cape come by, and she's like, "Who are you?" And he says, I'm Frank Costanza's lawyer. That's how he identifies himself. That's Frank <laughs> Costanza's lawyer. <laughs> Which must mean nothing to Noreen. Right. She has no idea who Frank Costanza is. <laughs> like, why would the lawyer identify himself as Frank? Like, even if he said, I'm a, you know, I'm a man in a cape. I don't know why he would say, I'm Frank Costanza's lawyer. I mean, how much could Frank Costanza be paying the man in the cape on retainer to have his name be... Right, exactly. For you to identify, he's not your in-house counsel. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm Donald Trump's lawyer. Like, he doesn't work full-time for Frank Costanza. Right. So it's almost, to me, this scene, is it's shocking that it wasn't written by Larry Charles, because this is the most Larry Charles scene of the whole series. (laughs) But it's so, like, I, you know, we don't like, like, the ridiculous, like, throw out the realism stuff, but this is so absurd that I don't even mind it. Like, this is almost not canon. Let's just talk this through from a realism perspective. Why is Noreen contemplating suicide here? Is it because she's pregnant with Kramer's baby? See, that doesn't really make sense, right? Like, maybe she found that she's not pregnant. Maybe she didn't want to have a kid. And she was like, oh, I'm having Kramer's baby. That's a disaster. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a big help. I think, uh, you know, and things have been going so poorly yeah. that, you know, to, you know, to her and like now Kramer's in charge. And she's like, oh, my gosh, look where my life has gone. Like, you know, the, but right. So, I, I mean, to me, I don't know. Right. She just said something good happened. It doesn't really make sense. But big picture. Well, what was the good sense. thing that just happened? She got pregnant well, with Kramer's some baby. Some people like getting pregnant. Some people like having children. Sure. Maybe, maybe she didn't want to be pregnant. Probably didn't want to be pregnant. Maybe she wanted to go back into the army and now she can't because she's pregnant. Ooh, uh, yeah, but I don't think she liked the army well enough to, you know, kill herself that she can't go back in. She went AWOL already. Well, maybe Kramer talked her into it. Like, hey, look, all these bad things are happening to you, but you needed to be in the army. You needed to have that structure. And then once you have that back, and she's like, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right, Kramer. I will go back into the army. That You're right. You make so much sense. That led to the sex because, you know, Kramer was giving her such like wise, sage advice. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this big plan that she was all excited about now is crashing down. She's pregnant. 
And now instead of going back and being an army officer, again, I don't know if you can get back into the army after you go AWOL. Then yeah. we'll find out. I mean, don't spoil the end of season, serial season two. We'll find out what happens. <laughs> but she got her mindset. Bergdahl is in the army. He's just not a, like an active like troop, you know, in Afghanistan. Right. So you say me right now. <laughs> so if you could do a Bo Bergdahl, then oh, for sure she could get back in, actually. OK, so Noreen might be the subject of a court martial soon. Yeah, I don't think she's going to face the death penalty or life in prison, though. And then do you think she's going to start dating Frank Stanza's lawyer? Yeah, that's why we never see him again, right? No, I, you know, some people think that she kills herself here. Oh, my God. Why do we never hear from Noreen again? She's just in two, two, you know, in a row. We never hear about the baby, about Kramer's baby. Are we seeing the scene from Noreen's perspective? Is the man in the cape a figment of Noreen's imagination? Yeah, it's possible. Maybe she's a crazy person. Like she's, And we don't even see him taking her down. They're like almost dancing on the ledge. Yeah. Maybe he pushes her. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist that would be. Is it a double suicide, though? <laughs> Maybe. We never see Frank Costanza's lawyer again. Never see the cape lawyer again. Although we do see Larry David yeah. many times. But We would love to hear your theories about what happens in this episode. Again, always fun when we start to dive into this stuff. Post-show recaps dot com and let us know what you think all right akiva before we talk to our guest today why don't we quickly talk about our opinions about okay so if this episode was going to be held today not in terms of like producing the tv show uh other than the lines being crossed or uncrossed do you think there's anything else that would not hold up yeah what else wouldn't hold up first of all nobody's playing clue we've established that (laughs) yeah I think everything else is uh, pretty good. I'm not sure if the, uh, well, I guess the debate still uh, rages on about the jockeys versus the boxers versus the boxer briefs. Yes. I, I feel like capes are still not really in fashion. Yeah. You know, like we said, the lines being crossed, that would never happen now. Right. I guess you could go on Donna Chang's Facebook page. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I, the Donna Chang we know would have like a picture of like uh, Yao Ming as her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Uh, like a panda as her, yes. like an avatar. Something semi neutral that could be like, uh, you know, interpreted either way. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through our letter grades here for the episode. I guess, um, is Jerry uh, have the biggest storyline in the episode, the Donna Chang story? I mean, it's hard. Yeah, what's I, I guess it's it's the A story. They're kind of there's a lot of like even stories that come in together. Yeah. All right. The storyline for Jerry here. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a B plus a, slash A minus. It's it's pretty good. Um, you know, there are a lot of great jokes. I don't know how many of them are uh, Jerry's per se in this episode, but it is a really funny idea. This, you know, the, the first time you see it This is one of these episodes that probably works best the first time you see it, especially if you're younger and not really viewing it through such a critical lens, uh, you know, yes. racially and otherwise. 22 years later. Sure. <laughs> All right. So then uh, what about Elaine and her storyline with Noreen again? Yeah, I mean, Elaine doesn't do a ton of heavy lifting here. You know, it's funny when she's blow drying her hair. You know, she doesn't really bring it in the in monks the same time. So I'll give her a C. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Then uh, we have George with his parents getting divorced. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when he walks into the oven the first time. It's pretty <laughs> shocking. It's also like we didn't really discuss it, but the idea that this person in their late 30s is who I mean, I know he's an only child and like this is all he has family wise, but like that is so upset that his parents are getting divorced. But he's upset about it because he doesn't want to have to do right. double Selfishly, visits. He doesn't right. care that they don't love each other anymore. I understand. 
But it's still like an over-the-top reaction for a grown man. <laughs> no. But it's I funny. agreed. I agreed with him. Uh, yeah, so I'll give George an A-. minus. Yeah. Again, you have to give George the A- minus here, or at least a very strong grade, because of you have to just lump in Estelle and Frank and him, and they're very funny in this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then finally, Kramer with his uh, fertility storyline. Yeah, the, the she's late is like a really classic line. My boys need a house is really funny. The idea that he... Uh, isn't wearing underwear that you know these are all like really iconic sort of things even though as you said maybe the episode as a whole isn't one that people really remember so i'm gonna i'll give kramer an a okay and again our lens in which we view seinfeld episodes we've discovered is uh we're looking for high highs we don't care necessarily about the overall baseline of the episode well that's not my intention it just for whatever reason seems to be but i think that we've sort of like discovered that's the that is the lens in which a great Seinfeld episode is looked at. It's fair. I do. I kind of regret the first episode, you know, the pledge drive last week. I feel like should have cracked the top 50. I kind of regret it now. All right. What are you going to do? It was a really solid episode. Where does this episode rank for you, Akiva? So this has some really high highs. Like I, my boy, needs, uh, my boy's in a house and she's late. Um, the ending isn't great. The second ending isn't great, but I don't think that ruins the episode in any way. Uh, and I won't penalize it too much for being so insensitive just because, uh, I don't know, I am just won't in this, at least for the rankings. So I have it at number 65. 65, wow, that's pretty high, I think. I mean, it's a pretty good episode. To me, I feel like, you know, the, like, you know finding, when she finds out Don Chang isn't Chinese and, and things like that, I don't know, I, I feel like uh, it's one of these, the first time I saw it, I, I just remember absolutely loving it. Okay, are you ready to talk to our guest this week? Yeah. Hey, Angela, what's going on? This is uh, Rob and Akiva from the Seinfeld Rewatch podcast. Hi. How's it going? Good. Well, thank you very much for coming on with us. We really appreciate you taking some time to uh, talk about uh, your work on a uh, very funny episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. Well, first of you know, we had been discussing the character of Donna Chang, uh, a.k.a. Donna Changstein, quite extensively, mm-hmm. uh, both Akiva and I. Akiva, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yes. Uh, nice to, nice to uh, meet you, Angela. You as well. And so we had been uh, discussing that that character and we just wanted to know in terms of when you were playing that character, were you were you playing the character to try to was she consciously trying to trick people, do you think? Or was she oblivious to the fact that people were under the wrong impression about her? I played her. um, If this would make sense, I played her fairly oblivious um, or if anything, um, feeling like it wasn't an issue, so why make one of it? Yeah. Uh, Oblivious seems to um, uh, seem like she may be a choice that she may be stupid, and it wasn't that as much as why discuss it, um, if that makes sense. How did you end up uh, being cast on the show? I auditioned. Were you aware of the show before you ended up uh, being on it? Yeah, yeah. I was, I wasn't, and still not a real avid television watcher. Um, but uh, I knew it was a very popular show, uh, and I knew the basic characters. Um, but I hadn't probably watched much of it at all at that point. And um, what was significant about that audition? A few things were, but one was. Often my manager's assistant would call me and she'd give me the synopsis that was basically included in the casting breakdown 
for everyone to receive that gets breakdowns on uh, a short synopsis of the actual episode, the story, and then obviously a character breakdown. And usually these are told and it's, you you kind of, we would roll our eyes together about Mm -hmm. some of these synopsis, like why are they making a TV show about this? Or are you serious? This is what, you know, this costs how much? But this one was one of those where we were both just, oh my God, that's hilarious. And that rarely happened. We were so snobby about that television synopsis that um, we were like, oh my God, that is funny. Um, so that was the first uh, indicator that this was uh, an excellent, not only show, which was already established, but episode. I imagine at this point in your career, when you're, uh, you know, in season six of Seinfeld in, uh, what was it, 1996, you you are, uh, this is uh, 1994, excuse me. Uh, this is, you know, probably the biggest moment of your career. So th- the show at this point is like 30-something million viewers a week. Is that nerve-wracking going in and basically playing with these, you know, the cast is essential, you know, most of the time, uh, the main four, and there's just, you know, a couple sort of ancillary figures each week. Was that, right. is that intimidating walking into, you know, sort of like, you know, this is almost like the all-star team and you're walking in, uh, you know, day one and have to act with them? No and yes. I felt like I belong with them as far as uh, not feeling like, oh, I'm being called up to the show and I haven't even played in the minors. I mean, I felt ready and was ready. Um, however, I felt like as far as acting was concerned, my biggest challenge in the acting of that role was to remain straight and nonplussed, uh, amongst all these things going around and, um, truly a straight person, but also delivering the joke, if that makes sense. And so that was intimidating because I did not want, I went in going, okay, I cannot at all be distracted or succumb to the, oh my God, look at where I am-ness of it all (laughs) and just play the character because I was terrified that I would screw up that ridiculous line because I'd um, not be fully present. And I, um, so if that makes sense, I was completely delighted and pinched me on, on one end and another end suppressing all of that so I could do my job. Angela, did you feel like, is there any truth to a perception of that scene that you mentioned with the ridiculous Ryan? Could we potentially have been uh, viewing those events through Jerry's point of view and that she didn't actually say ridiculous? Wow. Um, I don't analyze it that We got deep. (laughs) We do two hours a week on every episode. Um, that could be a choice. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't, I had not made that conscious choice, but yeah. Um, wow. You're just, um, bringing in all sorts of theories. Um, I do know that Jerry, after we taped that scene and we were about to move on, he turned to me and he said, that is the absolute longest I've ever had to hold for a laugh. Yeah. Yet on this show. And, and he, it wasn't anything really to do with me as much as if you see it, he milks it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the take and then the other take. And then, and that was what such a, a great indicator of, I mean, that's a moment of they were in the palm of his hand. Do you think, Angela, you know, I don't know if you've seen the episode recently or it's funny, you know, I, I, I was, you know, 11 years old when it came out and I, you know, thought nothing other than it was really funny. But viewing it from like a 2016 perspective, do you think this is something that could have made air now? Do you think like, 
the I, I'm talking mostly about sort of like the like the Asian sort of, you know, yeah. like the, the stereotypey sort of jokes, uh, you know, do you th- are we is it like unfair to view it through like a 2016 prism from 1994? Or do you think this is one of those episodes where maybe like uh, it doesn't hold up as well? Do you think it's racist? No, I don't think so. I'm just saying, could they do it now? Because it might be perceived as racist. Is that? I think. Why well, think I think. I think. I, I just. You know. I, I don't know if. I don't know if we're a little bit more politically correct now. I don't know if. I, you know, FX maybe could get away with it now. I'm not sure if NBC is pulling this off at nine o'clock, but I could be wrong. Because people are more afraid of dealing with racial things. Is that what? I mean, I'm wondering why you wouldn't think it would play in 2000 because it hasn't occurred to me. I mean, what I love is that line that uh, Lane has. It's like, if I like their... No, he has it to Elaine. If I like their race, how can it be racist? No, and yeah, of course. a woman who's so Asian-centric because obviously she has uh, a great affinity for Asian things. Um, and I, I don't know. You know, that's a really good... I do comedy now, and we're, there's a lot of discussion right now about diversity. And... It, I do a lot of improv and just last night somebody was talking about, uh, or two nights ago, the, you know, when you're getting a suggestion of, you know, an improv, you play all genders, all races. And when is it, when is it racist and, and offensive and a stereotype? And when is it, listen, we're in China. I'm going to play a China person, <laughs> that sort of thing. And, um, we kind of all concluded that if there's in, empathy and intelligence involved in the portrayal, that it, it's a go, um, but that when it becomes a character or a statement about a race, that that's offensive. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a statement about people who are obsessed with with being something other than they're not, maybe. Right. And, and as you know. say, the show goes out of their way. There's not a single negative thing said about Asian people or any sort of minority in this episode. You know, they go out of their way to be positive about it. Angela, is there any other behind the scenes story about uh, the filming of the episode that you could tell us from the week that you shot this episode? Um, I was thinking about that earlier. Well, one thing that I felt was significant is uh, I believe the, you, you guys would know or will know soon. I believe the Emmys had occurred either the week prior to us shooting that. And uh, Kramer had won an Emmy. I didn't have any scenes with him. And, there was just such this reverence that week for him winning that. And I, I really liked watching him because he's such a physical actor. And my memory, actually, the, the most delighted I was, was to be on set with Jerry Stiller because as a, especially a sketch improv person, he was it when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, him and Mike Nichols, uh, they were they really pioneered a lot of stuff in comedy. And so watch, they worked so differently too in rehearsal. It was interesting, but uh, you know, you, when you do guest spots, you're the flavor of the month or the, of the week. It's just, why get to know them? They're going to move on, especially when it's Jerry's girlfriend, who is rarely, if ever right. brought back, it's like, you know, your shelf life is short. No, does your agent say to you, like, you know, it's only supposed to be for one week, but if you really knock it out of the park, you never know. Because sometimes he has a girlfriend for like two or three weeks. And oddly, uh, you're one of the only um, girlfriends that he doesn't break up with. You know, it's just implied. There's no breakup. Oh, wow. I never thought of that either. Wow. 
Um, no, I just kind of assumed. I mean, they, they will, and I believe it will be on breakdowns, possible recurring. And when that happens, you kind of perk up. And I, I did, I think my Star Trek role, they just wanted to write more. But in the beginning, it's, you, in, especially in this profession, you can't hang your hat on anything unless it's tangible. So it's like, just go in and do your best and whatever happens, happens. Great. They want to write more of it. Or there wasn't this, um, you better do well, they could bring her back. But of course, that's always implied in any role um, that's a guest on a series. But no, I wasn't even in that space. Um, but as far as getting to know the other actors, when you're guesting, you don't really. And God love them if they take the time because they don't have to. Um, and Jason Alexander was incredibly hospitable with me. And I had dinner with him and his kids and his wife. Um, and he was he didn't have to go out of his way, but he did. And that doesn't say that those who didn't, were jerks whatsoever. It's just, it's a job. And, um, at one point, Jerry and I were standing around with rehearsal and he was actually talking really intensely talking to somebody that appeared to be his manager or maybe a network exec or something. And I'm kind of minding my own business and to, to make a point with the conversation he was having with this person, he sort of take, does an aside to me. And he said, did you get that? Awareness. Awareness is key. And I looked at him and I said, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> and his friend laughed and he looked at me and went, funny. Yeah. And then they went on talking. I'm like, that is the greatest compliment from a stand-up is if they uh, yeah, laugh and they just go, funny. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> now, tell us about what you're doing with improv. Um, I, I teach it and um, oh, where do you I'm teach? working on... Well, I teach it. Uh, prim- I teach all over, like workshops, but primarily in New York at Artistic New Directions, which is a theater company, and um, I teach acting as well. But you know, that's as far as performing it. Um, do you guys know who TJ and Dave are? I don't. No. no. You must look them up. If they I, okay. are you located in LA? Yeah, I'm in LA. Akiva is uh, all over the place. Okay. Well. They're based in Chicago, but they do tour sometimes. And they're an example of a school of improv. They're so incredible masters at it. But that's, that was what I was going to use is what I do as far as the style of improv. But I do a lot of tiprov, which is two-person, very realistic, play You know, we're not Martians and we're not... Um, it's behaving reasonably and being honest. It's a very kind of grounded hour of theater, but it's improvised. And often the the byproduct is humor, but that's not the sole intention. And so I do kind of actory based improv. All right. Well, uh, Angela, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to uh, plug or promote uh, while we have you here? Uh, yeah, I have. A, I'm just appearing. I'm trying out. I'm writing. I'm trying out new stuff at the Barrow Group Theater. And it was supposed to be last Sunday, but it was postponed. I don't know when the new um, date is. They haven't decided if it's it's the solo show off where people who are working on um, individual stuff. So I'll just plug the Barrow Group Theater. They're fantastic. And uh, and at Dorman Angela on Twitter. That's right. All right. Uh, Angela, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, Keeve. There you have it. Yeah, Angela didn't call me (laughs) Keeve. She did not. She did not. I almost called her Donna a couple times. 
Why the oak from Donna Chang? I almost did. And then I, I wanted to ask her when she talked about going to dinner with Jason Alexander, I came very close to asking if they went for Chinese food. And I said, I said, no, <laughs> no, I'm going to be a professional. I will not ask that. But you're very nice. Very, I uh, really do appreciate it, Angela coming yeah. on with us. And we got it. I'm glad I got to float that test balloon of when we <laughs> float one of our crazy theories to somebody that was on the show. How ridiculous must we be to other people? <laughs> Especially like someone who's, you know, 50 or like. I just wanted to see if she was going to hang up and like, all right, you know what, guys, uh, I got to go. <laughs> so that's our test case for when we talk to Larry David or Jerry. <laughs> I mean, Jerry, they, uh, the thing is, like, we analyze this in such absurd detail that maybe we should be embarrassed. <laughs> oh, we should be. There's no question about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. There I, isn't a question. I, sometimes I think it's cool, but then now I realize, oh, it's, it's not. not. No, 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 no. Not cool. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into some of our emails. Of course, uh, we get our emails every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. And uh, here we come. Great mailbag uh, this week uh, that you guys have sent into us. And why don't we start off with Dan Birkin. And Dan, of course, is the person who said that he would be donating $1 for each minute. We go over an hour and 10 minutes per episode. So Dan has an update for us, says Baby Buggy got $231 donation for season five. How about that, Keeve? That's a lot of money. Yeah. Too bad we're not getting a 10% cut of it, he writes, uh, like the aluminum siding. Yeah, that would be uh, $23. We'd be well on our way to Australia for the finale. Yeah. Season six had its first negative episode per our rules. Uh, there was one week where it was under an hour and 10 minutes, but we are in the positive overall, and we still have a long way to go. All right, so thank you so much to Dan who, uh, the very generous benefactor, uh, donating money to charity for uh, us podcasting. And we should be in the positive this week. Oh, yeah. We're costing him a lot of money right now. <laughs> we would think so. So thank you so much to uh, Angela as well. Angela Dormer. Hey, Johnny DeSilvera wants to know, why didn't the show ever tell the viewers if Noreen was indeed pregnant or not? Instead, we're left to assume because it's never brought up again. So what do you think is the most likely outcome, Keeve? Do you think, did A, Noreen kill herself? B, did Noreen get off the bridge and have Kramer's baby? C, did Noreen get off the bridge and uh, terminate the pregnancy? Or D, did Noreen get off the bridge and then uh, it was just that she was late and she was not pregnant with Kramer's baby? Yeah, late doesn't really mean anything. People are late all the time. It's just on Jerry, it's on Kramer's mind, so he's excited about it. We never found out if there was a positive pregnancy test. Right. I, to me, the idea, there's no way she killed herself while pregnant. That's just too dark for this episode. Too dark. Yes. So I, I want to say she wasn't pregnant. That muddies the waters even more that she killed herself she wasn't pregnant. You think that she was so disappointed that she wasn't pregnant? I'm, I'm turning around to that now. That I think, like, because she has all these ideas. She's going to go to the army. She's not going to go to the army. She's dating long talker. She's not dating a long talker. She's dating the high talker. She's not dating the high talker. Now it's like another thing. Just, you know, okay. She talked herself into being a mom for the you know last 24 hours. So have sex with Kramer again. That's kind of gross. <laughs> I'm not buying into that at all. No. I say that my thinking is that she thought she was pregnant with Kramer's baby. She went to go and jump off the bridge. The man in the cape talked her down. And I think that eventually, I think sadly, either uh, she terminated the pregnancy or... Then she eventually just got her period and man with the cape talked her out of being associated with any of these people. Maybe he talked her down by like, I'm a lawyer. I'll get you, you know, if, if uh, you're pregnant, I'll get you some serious child support. Yeah, from Kramer. Sure. All right. Craig from Vancouver. 
he weighs in on this. So this is a big debate that we're about to open up. He says, uh, the whole low sperm count thing due to jockeys is a myth. It's pretty well known now. I don't know that. <laughs> so then our medical correspondent comes in exactly where we need him. Dr. Thomas says, I wasn't so sure about the boxers versus briefs debate. So I did some research and he says that the studies found are small, but they do support the premise that boxers are better for sperm production. And the reason has nothing to do with squashing, which I don't know if the episode raised that question, uh, but Dr. Thomas uh, squashes that myth, but more to do with temperature. Sperm production works best if the testes are slightly cooler than the rest of the body. So by holding them too close to the body, the briefs can warm the testes and compromise the sperm production for the same reason. Another study suggested that cotton underwear is better than synthetic fibers. So maybe George was onto something with the cotton Yankee uniforms after all. And maybe that's how Danny Tartable got in this whole mess to begin with. And that's true. Uh, who knew we'd be talking about testes so much? <laughs> yeah. So Craig and... <laughs> Dr. Thomas, I feel like I'm ready to throw down about this. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Craig, Dr. Thomas, it's a debate. Yeah. So we don't know exactly. Uh, where do you weigh in on this? I, I side more with Dr. Thomas, I believe. I mean, I don't know. This is like a medical question. I don't know why I should have an opinion. Yeah. Like, so, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I wear boxers. You wear boxers, right? I mean, I think the whole idea of the testicles is that they're supposed to be. That's why they're not in the body. They need to be cooler. Makes sense. It does make sense. So. I think I, I sided with Dr. Thomas on the issue. I think we should both start wearing briefs. <laughs> and then we should then get a sperm count. Go to, go, uh, you know, we get, and then we find out on the show. Yeah. Or just hope, let's just hope nobody botches any vasectomy. <laughs> okay. Uh, we both have a number of children between the two of us. So I think that we're, I think we're fine. Are you saying that in case someone's listening for the first time? Because what, they've shut it off if they're listening. For the yeah. First time. A long time ago. We got an email from Harry who writes in to say, I had forgotten how many classic lines there were in this episode. Slipped one past the goalie. My boys need a house. Thin layer of gabardine. And then also adds in, I don't trust men in cape. And I smoke, I secondhand smoke two packs a day. And he left in, I left out the most famous line in the episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is the Kramer line, which is, well, you mean she's late? No, I feel like that the most famous line in the episode is uh, like, I'm out there and I'm loving oh, and it. I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is the most famous line. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, Kramer really has like four famous lines in this episode, but yes. Harry wants to know, do you think this episode ranks near the top of episodes for the number of most quotes? I mean, maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to track that. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I'm not I, writing another medium piece, Harry. Don't, don't ask me to do that. I also think that it's sort of a very tough thing to do. Say like, okay, oh, this episode has seven quotable lines. If that's a quotable line, okay, that's not a quotable line. I, I don't think you can really get into the weeds on that. Yeah, it's very subjective. Travis wants to say, I assume that during the what's different about this episode in 2016 segment, there's going to be a lot of discussion about all things Donna Chang. Normally you cover potential changes to the show's content, but what about the issue of whether Seinfeld in 2016 would be an NBC show or would it be suited to HBO FXX or Netflix? Again, we've touched on this issue a couple of times, most recently with Angela, who did not think that there would be any reason why this wouldn't air on NBC. Now to me, the idea of this plot line seems probably more like an It's Sunny in Philadelphia plot line in 2016. Yeah. That makes sense. By the way, I, I wasn't going to say it because Angela was uh, courteous with her time and uh, came on. But do you notice that everyone who doesn't have a television tells you that they don't have a television always? <laughs> oh, I don't watch a lot of TV. 
Yeah, well, she, did she say she doesn't own one or she doesn't watch a lot? Doesn't watch a lot, but okay. it's the same thing. People love telling you that they don't watch TV. <laughs> yeah. TV is the best medium we have now. If Picasso <laughs> was alive, he'd be a showrunner for four different shows, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are watching a lot of TV, but maybe this will be need to balance it out. They don't watch a lot. So, I guess. I, do you think that Seinfeld would be a network show? Would it work as like a, uh, an HBO show? Would it be like Curb? Would it be on Netflix? It wouldn't be pitched. Larry and Jerry would never go near a network nowadays. So, uh, yeah, it would have to be FX. You know, I think Netflix is best, but FX, HBO, and Netflix are definitely that. I mean, look look where Larry goes next. He doesn't go to NBC. NBC, I'm sure, would have been happy to do sort of the next Seinfeld with him. He goes to HBO. Mm-hmm. So probably HBO. But Seinfeld, you know, Jerry doesn't work as blue as Larry. So, you know, you could do FXX. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to see it nowadays on NBC. All right. Amir writes in and says, well, I don't know if liking a specific race is considered racist. I do think it's racist to assume a woman named Chang automatically means she's Chinese. She could just as easily be Korean or Thai. The way this episode interchangeably uses the terms Chinese and Asian actually is kind of racist. Yeah. They barely said the word Asian at all. I think. Yeah. They did get Pacific Rim in there. Yeah. That's not great. (laughs) They all, two years earlier, they would have dropped an O-bomb. They would have been it. They wouldn't have been able to rerun the episode. <laughs> That's it. All right. And finally, one last email from Chester who says, uh, do you guys wear boxers or briefs or B-O-B-W, uh, which is boxer briefs? Why is B-O-B-W the abbreviation for boxer briefs, according to Chester? I think it's like lawyer speak. I'm not sure what they're doing <laughs> there. Boxer briefs come up? Is that like legal briefs? Is that they have yes, to like, exactly, differentiate it? exactly the same thing. <laughs> Uh, Akiva, do you want to answer the question for the masses? Yeah, I say I wear, I wear, I wear boxers. I, I own some boxer briefs, but I, I generally wear boxers. Yeah, no, I have uh, all boxers. I think I do have some pairs of boxer briefs, but uh, that's really, I would have to be very low on laundry to get to those. Yeah, I haven't owned a pair of uh, briefs since like sixth grade. Yeah. Now, Chester has another theory about all this. He says that women go nuts if you squeal about a pregnancy too soon. Kramer's lucky that Noreen didn't throw him off the bridge. So Chester feels like that Noreen is very upset that Kramer spilled the beans about the pregnancy. I don't think Noreen is so wacky. I'm not sure that's her biggest problem. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like that she would. And look at you. He's, He's upset about stereotyping. And then look where Chester goes next. You know what women do? Women go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Chester wants to know what happened to Noreen after Larry David saved her one would assume she got an abortion if she actually was pregnant and decided to have nothing to do with the gang ever again but why wouldn't she have testified against the gang in the finale thus I would argue that she probably did end up killing herself that one day when Larry David wasn't around do you think that she would have testified against the group well how great would that be I mean it would be such an absurd callback that no Mm -hmm. one would remember yeah how great would that be if on the stand you know a a character witnesses Noreen and she's like, he's the father of my baby, points to Kramer. I think that Noreen is such a forgettable character. Of I feel course, like that's you, why you could never have her in the finale. I feel like you could bring back the high talker for the finale and they'd say, oh, they're like, he, they, they stole my girlfriend or, or something like that. Or they got my girlfriend to break up with me. I think you would remember that more so than Noreen, even though she's in two episodes and the high talkers in one. Yeah. I, can, you, can Donna Chang be upset or she wasn't really wronged at all? No, Donna Chang has uh, no reason to testify. And again, the other people that are testifying about things, I think that they probably uh, have better stories than Noreen. It's true. They're, they're, and far greater gripes than what Noreen has. 
even though Noreen could potentially be dead because of them. Yeah, I, I, it is fair. Like, I, I definitely think by the time the finale rolls around, she's not with us she's, anymore. But like she's forgettable or you think she's dead? Oh, I think she's dead. Or she's in the army. We're both. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, that is the Chinese woman. Of course, you could send your emails into us every week. Seinfeld at post show recaps.com. Akiva, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we got Poppy back in the house. Poppy. Couch. P couch. That's exciting. Yes. P couch. We got, a, we got a lot of abortion conversations, a pizza business where you make your own pie. <laughs> Patton Oswalt. Okay. Akiva, what's the hashtag, Keeve? Can we do halfway home? Because we're, we're 90, we're 90 eps done and 90, 90 more to go. Okay. What if, what if we just like forget about like our jobs or whatever and we just like grind it out the next 90 over the next three weeks, then we never have to do this again. Hmm. So you think banging out, like we do like one yeah. a day, just get them yeah. all in the can. And then yeah. we'd also have to like, I mean, it would be hard on like Chester and Johnny DeSilvera and stuff. They'd have to also take off work to what? Because we'd have to do the, all the eat. Like we can't not have the emails. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they're up for it, if they're up for it, yes. uh, we'll see. And, you know, it wouldn't be any extra work on like, you know, Scott St. Pierre or Mike Moore uh, for the work that they do because they, they were just like, they, you know, they would, they would just only have to still do the same. And also, we'll do like the real time stuff. Like when I was talking about Kanye or last week, Jonas Espedes, we'll just guess what's happening in the news that. <laughs> We'll project out there. Yeah. All right. So we'll think about it. We'll consider it halfway done. Uh, Akiva, what's your biggest takeaway halfway through Seinfeld? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I feel like takeaway from the, the series or from the podcast. Oh, uh, the podcast. I feel like it's getting better as we're going on. You know, who yeah. knows what was going on at the beginning. Makes sense. Uh, the series is also getting better as it goes. I feel like we're, we're both headed in a positive trajectory. <laughs> yeah. Trending upward. I do feel like for me, the biggest takeaway is that thing that I mentioned before of the criteria for a great Seinfeld episode is not necessarily the sum of the parts, but the exceptional moments of that highest high, as opposed to sort of like uh, what was the average, you know, duration of the episode in terms of like uh, the moments. Yeah. And also just how like weak the show was in like seasons one and two compared to what we have now, where most episodes are really, you know, eminently watchable. Okay. All right, Akiva, great job. As usual, you could follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. You'll be uh, feel like you're one of his good friends when you tweet him at Keeve26. Of course, I'm at Rob Sistriner. Thanks so much to uh, Scott St. Pierre for putting this all together uh, with our phone calls and all that stuff. And of course, uh, thanks to Mike Moore for the episode recap. We'll be back next week to talk about the couch. Take care, everybody. Bye. 